for God's Word this morning. We're continuing to look at Isaiah chapter 40 in this series that we're in, Fresh Focus Thinking. I believe it's our third week this week in Isaiah chapter 40. And as we've been moving through Isaiah 40, we've been picking up on five pictures in which God wanted His people to behold Him. Firstly, we started out by seeing that God wanted His people to behold Him as the God of reconciliation. And through this, we saw that God had not forgotten or abandoned Judah as they believed. It had actually been Judah who'd forgotten and abandoned God. So, Isaiah, in chapter 40, begins with God taking the first steps towards His people, announcing that their sins were forgiven so that they could be reconciled to God again. All provision for their sin, all provision for their failure had been provided in Jesus, their Messiah. Isaiah had already seen this in his vision and announced it to them. God was announcing to his people that they were forgiven. And this message that was given to Judah also correlates with us, we said, because it's at the heart of the gospel. We've also been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can be assured, like they were assured, God will never abandon us. God will never give up on any single one of us whilst there may be times where we are faithless. He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's what Paul proclaims in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and you can read it when you go home. We may be faithless at times, and of course there are times of despair and difficulty where we lose faith. But we can be assured of this. God always remains faithful, irrespective of where we are on what we go through in life, because He cannot deny Himself. He loves us, and He will never forget about us, and He will never abandon any one of us. Hallelujah. Then after Judah beheld their God as the God of reconciliation. The second picture that we looked at last week as we moved on in Isaiah chapter 40 was of God wanting His people to behold Him as the God of reconstruction. And we saw in this picture how God never just sits on the sidelines of our lives, observing and critiquing us as some would do. No, God gets to work in us to help us live and work life out. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices after He saves us, after He reconciles with us. No, He's completely committed to us. And Isaiah saw this. He saw the barren landscape of our hearts with no hope of change, Yet with surveying eyes, this prophet also saw how God comes into the barrenness of our hearts and lives to build his road of entry. We looked at 
The four key stages of action that God takes when building his highway into our hearts. Just like civil engineers would organize their workforce with a simple but effective strategy to construct their roadway, Isaiah saw God working in the same way in our lives. He points out to us, as he pointed out to Judah, four ways in which God reconstructs our characters. Firstly, he tells us that the valleys will be exalted. Secondly, he assures us that the mountains will be leveled. Thirdly, he sees that all the crooked places will be made straight. And finally, as a fourth point, he announces that the rough places will be made smooth. And we said it's a wonderful picture of God at work in our hearts and in our lives, reconstructing, changing, transforming who we are. And this work of God is always taking place in our lives, even though most of the time we are completely unaware of it. The Holy Spirit is conforming us to the very image and character of Christ Jesus. That's who your life is moving towards to be like, ultimately, to be perfect like the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Paul the Apostle, just like Isaiah, wonderfully confirmed God's active work in our lives by saying this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Your life doesn't just unfold. Your life just isn't left to work itself out as a chance, as a matter of chance. No, your life is the very handiwork of God. And don't let anybody else tell you any different. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then also in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul again states, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Just like Isaiah, Paul emphasizes that God is at work in all of our lives. He's working all things together for good so that he can be, so that, so that we can be all that he's planned for us to be in Christ. Because he's the God, not only of reconciliation, he is that, but he's also the God of reconstruction. Now today, the third picture that we're going to look at amongst the five great pictures in Isaiah 40 is that God wanted his people to behold him as the God of reassurance. We've seen him pictured in this great chapter as the God of reconstruction We've seen him pictured by Isaiah as the God of reconciliation. And now Isaiah shows us that God is the God of reassurance. Judah, God's people, were living in a foreign land, Babylon. Their homes had been burned by fire and completely demolished. The city of Jerusalem 
and its glorious temple and all of its surrounding walls had been destroyed and lay in rubble. And for Judah, it seemed as if their future was over. All hope was gone. All hope was lost. No one could ever change what had happened. No one could undo all of the damage that had been done and all the chaos that had occurred. Nobody could unravel it. They were living as captives for decades. And so it seemed to these people that their fate was fixed and final and unchangeable. God's people, Judah, had been bombarded whilst in Babylon by all kinds of strange beliefs that left them confused, not knowing what to believe anymore. But God wanted them to know Him and behold Him as the God of reassurance. Listen carefully to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through to verse 8, and you'll hear the great promise of reassurance coming from God's heart to his people. Isaiah 40 verse 6 to verse 8 says this, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen! These words are words of great reassurance. Because God here was speaking right into the heart of Judah's crisis. Firstly, these words of promise and reassurance would have had a correcting effect on Judah's wrong perspectives about God and about His promises. And that's what God's Word always does in all of our lives. And it's important for us to understand that God's Word always corrects our wrong perspectives about life and our thoughts also about Him. They need to be adjusted. They need to be realigned. They need to be constantly corrected. You see, it's God's Word that orders and resets our priorities. It's God's Word that reassures us that things are going to be okay according to His Word, and not according to the circumstances that would often tell us different. God's Word reassures us so that we can live well when we understand it, embrace it, and receive it by faith. These words that we've read also pointed out that natural human strength will never be sufficient enough to stand up to the challenges of life. Human help, human strength will fail. But the Word of our God will stand forever. It will never fail. It will never falter. 
Now, you may be wondering how these words could be so reassuring to Judah, because God is telling His people that all flesh is like grass that withers, and like a flower that fades. And when you hear that, first of all, it doesn't sound very reassuring, does it? But when the Lord pointed out that all flesh is as grass that withers, and like a flower that fades, He was not saying to His people that this would be their end. God wasn't crushing His people with the news that they were going to wither away or fade away like a feeble flower. That wouldn't have been reassuring to them. No. What God was saying through these reassuring words to His people was that the Babylonian power that they saw as unconquerable, the empire of man that seemed so strong and invincible, immovable and permanent, was nothing more to God than grass that withers and a flower that fades. God wasn't sending a message to His people saying that this would be their end in life and that this was going to happen to them. No, not at all. Judah, God's people, even though they were captive in the land of Babylon, were not going to be like withering grass or like a fading flower. How do we know that? How can we be certain of that? Well, from the Word of God. Because when we read the end of this chapter, we find our answer. Because at the end of this great chapter, it doesn't say those that wait on, upon the Lord will wither away like grass or fade away like a feeble flower. No, there's no withering or fading away for those who wait upon the Lord. Absolutely not. It's completely the opposite. Let me read it to you, Isaiah 40, verse 31 says this, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's not a picture of Judah withering like grass or fading slowly away like a dying flower. So this word about flesh withering like grass and fading like a flower was not directed to Judah at all, but to their Babylonian captors who had ridiculed and belittled them. God reassured Judah that his breath was about to blow on Babylon the great, and all of its strength and power would be brought down to nothing. God was capturing Judah's mind again, infusing it with life and hope and strength, calling them to behold Him, to turn their eyes away from all the countering messages around them and to fix their gaze on Him. He was reassuring them that there was no superpower on earth that was comparable with His greatness, with His might, and with His omnipotence. Withering grass and fading flowers were a common sight, an everyday sight for Judah, 
as they are for all of us. And that's why God picked out these simple everyday images to reassure them that that was going to be the fate of their enemy. That was going to be the fate of their captors that seemed so strong, proud, and undefeatable. They would soon wither away. They would soon fade away because all of the necessary preparations for their deliverance, Judah's deliverance had already been made and spoken about 150 years before they'd even got to Babylon. Hallelujah. And King Cyrus, who hadn't even been born, Isaiah named 150 years before. He would be the man from Persia, the king of Persia, that God would raise up and anoint and send to Babylon and to bring it down to nothing. I tell you now, the word of God never fails. The word of God, irrespective of what happens in the world, the word of God will never fail. It stands forever. It's precious what we hold in our hands. It's precious when we read it and we receive it and we take it into our minds and we meditate on it and it becomes the very necessity of our life like our food. It brings strength. We take in eternal things. Hallelujah. Psalm 137 shows us why Judah so desperately needed God's reassuring word of hope for their lives. As it takes us into a moment where God's people were at a place of hopeless despair. This psalm describes the condition they were in. Their minds couldn't go anywhere but back. Back into the past. To where they once lived. And to the blessing that was once theirs. But all of the special memories that this wonderful people of God held in their hearts and held in their minds just caused them immense pain. And added to that, their captors tormented them by demanding that they sing songs of joy. Judah was known for its song known for its songs of praise to God. Yet all the praises that once filled their mouths, that marked them out as a nation, were no more. They had lost their God-given song, the song that God had destined them and called them to sing, was long gone. And singing praises to God from where they were in Babylon was impossible, emotionally impossible for them. They just couldn't sing. Let me read to you from Psalm 137 as it describes Judah's painful moments by the rivers of Babylon. Psalm 137 verse 1 to 4 says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps. For there 
Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? A terrible moment for a people that were called to sing. A people, a nation, that were called to declare praises unto God are left with no song in their heart. You know, two of the most precious gifts that each of us are given by God as human beings to enjoy through life is in our memory and in our imagination. Our memory enables us to think back on the past, to reflect with joy on the life that we've lived. In moments through our memory, we can go back one year, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, or even more. In just moments, we can do this. We have the capacity to do this. It's God-given. It's a precious gift. Your memory enables you to feast with joy as you recall occasions and experiences that are so special to you that you hold, that have great memory and great value. It's your memory that gives you access to the vault of your past, into all its value, into all its treasure, into all its joy. Alongside the precious gift of memory that God has given to each and every one of us, God has also given the precious gift of imagination. Imagination gives you the ability to dream, to expect, to think ahead, to be excited with hope, to see beyond today in your mind's eye so you can plan with purpose as you look ahead. Your memory enables you to look back on the past. Your imagination enables you to look forward on down the corridor of time to plan and prepare with expectation and excitement. What a blessing we've been given from God, been given to our mind in its ability to recall and remember through memory and in our imagination in its ability to dream and expect to plan with purpose. But these two areas of blessing given to us by God, the enemy tries to attack. These two God-given gifts the enemy seeks to use as tools against us. Through our memory, the devil tries to cause us to remember things in the past we can never change. And if he can't get through the door of our memory about the past, he tries to come through the door of our imagination 
tempting us to entertain thoughts in our minds about our future. A future that he's trying to design that's filled with fear and hopelessness. Our memory and imagination are among the greatest gifts that we have that's been given to us by God, designed to bring blessing, joy, hope, and excitement. Yet these two blessings the enemy seeks as a platform for his work to bring pain, despair, and hopelessness in our lives. Judah's memory was filled with joyful times to recount and reflect upon. Yet their enemies used the precious memories that they held in their hearts and minds as a means to cause them pain and sadness. God wasn't behind that. The enemy was taunting them to sing joyful songs to increase their suffering in the land that they were in. Equally, by being oppressed in Babylon, they couldn't imagine anything new beyond where they were and who they had become. Their future seemed over. But, The God of reassurance steps into the mess. The God of reassurance steps into the chaos. The God of reassurance whose word endures forever, whose word he sends out, and it cannot return to him void without accomplishing that for which he has sent it, steps in, steps up, and speaks into the heart of his people. He speaks promises of reassurance to heal all of their wounds that they carry in their memory. Announcing firstly, as we saw right at the beginning of the chapter, that their warfare was over and their sins were forgiven. And some translations say, pardoned. They weren't on parole to see if they were going to behave. No, they were completely acquitted and pardoned and set free from their sin. God was healing their memory of all the past and all the wounds and all the pains and nobody would ever dare have a right to bring it up again once God had completely acquitted them of it. And at the close of this chapter, as we've already read, God gives them new pictures and glorious images for their imagination to feast upon. They are given a picture of transformation and hope for their future. God reassures them of renewed strength, rising up in flight like an eagle, running again in life without weariness, walking in freedom without fainting or weakness. As they wait, as they wait, and behold their God, 
their strength would be renewed. No, God's people weren't going to wither like grass. God's people weren't going to fade away like a flower. The breath of the Lord was going to come upon Babylon, and that was going to be their fate. Jeremiah, a prophet of their time on beyond Isaiah, seeing the panorama of it all, then being exiled and taken into Babylon, and then after coming out 70 years later to the very day, to the very day, not, one, not 70 days and, and a week, or, seven, or sorry, 70 years and a week, or 70 years and a few months. No, 70 years to the very day. 50,000 exiles, according to Ezra, chapter 1, got set free from Babylon as a result of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who had deposed the empire of Babylon and destroyed it as the anointed of God. Jeremiah, seeing all of this, spoke long before it happened in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, by saying these words which we know well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's reassurance right there. For every fear, for every challenge, for every difficulty, when it seems as if everything is over and there's no way forward and there's no way back, God has a plan. And it's not, it's not going to be counted by any human power. Just in these closing moments today, just like Judah, really, there can be seasons in our lives where we're left thinking thoughts of, where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? Do you know about me? Are you there? We can get left feeling in life sometimes. Like we're abandoned and left alone. Or we can look at our circumstances and think they're irreversible. You resign yourself to the facts that support all of the evidence that you've collected about your life. And it doesn't look good. And both the blessing of memory... And the blessing of imagination given by God, the enemy uses to keep us bound up and held captive. But God, God wants to reassure our hearts this morning. He wants to reassure your heart. All is well. He has a plan. And you're walking in steps that are ordered by him. Maybe you're anxious today about many things. 
or in need of God's reassuring word? Well, listen to these words of reassurance to you. Philippians 4 verse 6, again, words we know well. Be anxious for nothing. That's reassurance. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Reassures you. Don't be anxious. Come to Him in prayer. And suddenly you will find a peace that passes understanding, guarding your heart, guarding your mind through Christ Jesus. It could be that you're struggling in your health. The God of reassurance speaks. He speaks to our ill health by saying in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. In his reassurance to us this morning, he speaks and he declares, I'm the God that heals you. I'll heal your body. I'll heal your mind. I'll heal any area of your life that's wounded or in pain. That's his reassurance to you. Or maybe it's a financial need that you have. Listen to this reassurance because it'll settle your heart. Philippians 4 verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, all the way through the word of God, there's countless reassurances for every situation that we might find ourselves in life. For every countering circumstance, God comes with a countering word of reassurance to hold his people strong. So that we might not panic, we might not be afraid. And there are times when we panic. There are times when we're afraid. And there are times when we feel so frail and vulnerable. But His word will come. His word will come. And it'll whisper like a voice in your heart. You'll hear it like an audible voice, but an inner audible voice. You'll hear it. I've heard it many times. Many times. Go through things in life. You walk on life's way. Things can happen. and You get attacked in your mind. You wonder, Lord. Remember one, one day in particular, years ago now, I was battling in my mind. You know, just battling. You know, one of the, one of the, I'd say one of the areas that the enemy has really tried to battle with me in, in relation to my Christian walk, is fear. 
That's one of the things that he challenges me on. And I say it openly. I've got no problem saying it because I know it will help some people. And the Lord allows it to go, go through my life to make me more pastoral and more compassionate for those who go through difficulties in their mind with fear. So, so I've had lots of battles and lots of challenges in this area, but God has never let me down. He's always come. When I've been like that little rabbit, in the, in, you know, caught in the middle of the road, and the truck is going to just about to hit me, and I can't take my, my eyes off its headlights, suddenly he reassures me and delivers me. Every time, man, every time, he's delivered me. And I know he has you too. But this one time, I tell you, I've got so many stories about this kind of stuff. This one time, the enemy's just battling and challenging me in my, in my thinking with, with fearful thoughts, erratic thoughts sometimes. And um, I'm walking down Lower Dock Street. And I get to the end of the road where the, the old building is there, which used to be a church. And I believe it was called Abundant Life Church. It used to be a church. And I get to that building, right? I can recall these times because I'm there. I can see it. And the enemy's saying this, the enemy's saying that, the enemy's saying this, and the enemy's saying that. And I'm just being bombarded with all of these thoughts. And um, this is what I said to God. And these are wonderful interactions with the Holy Spirit because he teaches you right in the middle of the back, in the middle of the warfare. He doesn't teach you in a classroom like, you know, you're in a school and this is what you need to do when you face that. No, he teaches you when the bullets are flying past your head and you're up to your neck in, in mud, in the trench, in, in a spiritual battle. That's when he teaches you in the middle of live fire when the, when the dark sky is lit up. And the enemy's saying all of this. And I said, I said to the Holy Spirit this. I, I said this to him. Can't you hear what the devil is saying to me? Now, I didn't say it that loud, but that's the, that, is, that was the, the, the depth of it in me. That's, that's how strong it came out of me to the Holy Ghost. And you know what? As calmly and as clearly as this, the Holy Spirit said this, yes, I can. And then waited a while, and he said, I can hear what he's saying to you. Why don't you speak back to him? And you know what? Suddenly, I got it. My God, speak back to him. I hadn't thought that. I just thought I had to sit like a dimwit, and listen to him all day long and just take it in. Talk about ignorance. I got up, man, and I started to go for it. Every scripture that I could muster inside me, I started to give it him. And you know what? I went on. I was set free into another season. Now, there's been many other seasons like that on beyond that. And the enemy comes. He takes opportunity and he comes in many different ways. He's a deceiver and a liar. And there is no truth in him. That's what Jesus said. 
And I tell you, you've got to, you, 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 you mustn't give him a foothold, not even a little foothold. Because, and, and, and the Bible tells us, do not give the enemy a foothold, otherwise that foothold will become a stronghold. You don't give him any hold at all. You deal with him firmly with the Word of God. God has, God has delivered me and you many times. He reassures us with this Word. His Word is all-powerful. Okay. Finally, <clears throat> just two more verses of Scripture to reassure you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Then I'm going to pray. You could be worried about your children today. You tried your best. And that's all we can do as parents. We try our best. We love our children. We do what we can. We provide a good home for them. We instruct them in God's Word to the best of our ability. You've done your best, but they're going in the wrong direction. And it concerns you. It worries you. Well, God's got a reassuring Word for you this morning. You take this away, whether you're here, whether you're watching online. You take this and you pray this. You put your expectation of faith and hope into this. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 16 through to verse 17. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. You take that word as a mum or a dad. You cried over your children to God. You cried your tears, tears that they know nothing about. You've spoken words that they've not even heard or entertained in their hearts. And the Lord says to you reassuringly this morning, Weep no more. Dry your eyes. You can be reassured. He's got it sorted. He's got it covered. What you can't do, He will do. Your children will come back from the land of the enemy. I tell you now, you just rejoice in that word. You just stand in prayer and, and, and don't let your, 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 your prayers now be a sad recital about where your children have landed and where your children have gone. No, let that weeping, that season of sadness end. You've got a reassuring word from the Lord that everything's going to be okay with your children. Let your recital of prayer be, Lord, I rejoice that my children are under your care. They may not be under my care at the moment, but they are under your care. You can see the land of the enemy that they are in at this moment in time, but... They will come back. Hallelujah. They will come back. I will not fear. I will not doubt. I will not be sad anymore, but I will rejoice that you are going to bring them home. And they'll come back to their border. They'll come back to their home, and you'll find 
you will find that God that worked a miracle outside, outside of even your care in their hearts. And brought them back. And then finally, over every other matter of life that you or I will ever face in life, the God of reassurance speaks into our hearts by reminding us to heed the words of Psalm 46 verse 10, where he says, and it's the first line really that I want to emphasize, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It's a command with blessing. Be still. Let all of the worry go. Let all of the anxiety go. Let all of the guilt and shame that the enemy would want to hold up in front of our face go. Be still, says the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. He is the God that loves every single one of us. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. His gaze is upon every one of us. Amen. And that's our reassurance of faith. That's our reassurance of hope that He gives each and every one of us. Father, we thank You today for Your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you for your precious people. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Not the price of silver and gold, but the precious blood of Jesus has purchased each and every one of our lives. We are yours. We are your children. We've been reconciled to you. We can see your reconstructing hand working and changing and transforming our characters to be more like you. And we love it. We thank you for it. And also, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful reassuring words that your Spirit brings to us. Your promises that never fail or falter, but stand eternal, forever settled. We thank you for that Word of God. It is powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges and divides Thoughts in our hearts that would try to take us off in a wrong direction. And it brings us guidance and instruction, hope and care. We thank you for your reassuring word that holds us and keeps us in life. Lord, I pray for every, every precious person in this place. If they're struggling with thoughts in their memory that are at a point of pain and the enemy just has hold in areas of our lives. Holy Spirit, right now, come with your power and heal that wound. Holy Spirit, come in your power, like you've done many times in my life, for my brother or for my sister. Come right now, Holy Spirit, with your power, and just take hold of any area that the enemy might have hold of and release it in Jesus' name so that our memories might be one of your goodness, one of your faithfulness, one of pleasure and joy. 
And Lord, our imaginations, you know how the enemy tries that one. He tries us to get to believe things that are just not there and will never be there. But how he tries in our minds and in our imaginations to bring us down. Lord, I pray. That even in our imagination, the meditation of your word would generate a wonderful expectation for life, for the future that you plan for each and every one of us. That God, you would be glorified in your people because they are your bride, your beloved. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.